welcome to CigarCast, a weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devon. I'm joined as I am every week by, by Mr. Shane Reeves. Have you had, did you have this experience? We went two weeks. You know, one week we was at Casa, and the next week we had Alejandro Toledo on. Mm-hmm. And a week, two weeks of not just you and I sitting down a podcast. Have you noticed it? Do you feel that I, you... I do. And I'm actually, I was really looking forward to this in the lead up today, knowing that it was going to be just the two of us, because it has been a while. And because on top of that, we also didn't get the opportunity to just sit down the two of us after the show like we normally do as a result of that as well. Yeah, both. Uh, this is just a busy time of year. Both our lives are running wide open. But oh my goodness, that's no joke. It's nice to get to slow down and share a cigar. So I have some nights I come in here and it's hard to choose what cigar I'm going to smoke on the show. That was the case for me tonight. Some nights it's not. And so for you? This week, we lost a part of my childhood. A piece of my childhood died March 4th. I actually heard about this on the radio yesterday. The great King Kong Bundy passed away. Six foot four, 458 pounds of man. I almost texted you yesterday. Fought at WrestleMania 2 in the main event against Hulk Hogan in a steel cage match. Bundy strode to the ring. No music for Bundy. He growls at the audience. <laughs> It's not the modern cage that you see today that looks like chain linking andonized aluminum. This was steel rawed together and for some reason painted blue. <laughs> and it, it looked like it was put together in some guy's backyard. Like oh, yeah. It didn't have the production value that they do now. Oh, yeah. WrestleMania back then, far and away. And I'll guest ring commentator for this match, Jesse the Body Ventura. Okay. Lord, Lord Alfred Hayes and Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, <laughs> called this WWE Championship match. When Hulk Hogan slammed King Kong Bundy, the world changed. The earth shifted on its axis because it was a different mother. There's women crying in the aisles. I immediately, at 10 years old, downed a bottle of Flintstones chewables and said a prayer. You know, Hulk Hogan <laughs> say your prayers, shake your vitamins. <laughs> King Kong Bundy set the stage for so much. And uh, he was the quintessential professional wrestler. He didn't... I, I don't think he ever walked into a gym unless there was a hot dog stand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his, his best description was Gorilla Monsoon described him as a walking condominium. Dang. And that's really the most accurate way to describe King Kong Bundy. So tonight, I have, I'm smoking the Long Live the King Mad MF. Mad Mofo, excuse me. And uh, this is... That's a very fitting tribute. I, I almost went with the King is Dead, but I thought, no, I want it to be up temple And... The definition of Mad Mofo would be King Kong Bundy. Yeah. You know, he definitely had that. Now, this is a Mexican San Andreas wrapper on Indonesian binder and filler made up of Corojo 98 Habano and Pennsylvania Double Lajero. This is a lot of cigar. It is. I've had this one. Is it is stout. a lot of cigar. And uh, one of my favorites, probably my f- this or the Ricochet, probably my favorite Caldwell cigar. You know... It- Without going too far into that, talking about Caldwell cigars, I've been smoking the crap out of the Blind Man's Bluff lately, and that is just such a phenomenal cigar. I am really enjoying the time we've spent with Caldwell cigars lately and get, getting to try more of those. And, and it uh, there's definitely a uh, – it's, it's worth all the hype. 
it definitely, you know, for and I have to revise my opinion because used to when we talked about Caldwell Cigar, I always thought they were a little overpriced. I did too, but I don't think that's the case anymore. I think that they have either all the other prices have come up to a degree, mm-hmm. or I'm just okay saying okay, I'll spend two more dollars and have a Caldwell. I know the quality's going to be there. Yeah, not sure what it is, but I have had to revise that opinion of the Caldwell cigar. And Jonathan becoming a rep has made a big difference. It has. Uh, that has put a, a lot more in our hands, at least in terms of wanting to support the brand that are that is supporting our friend. Yeah. What are you smoking? Follow that intro if you dare. Oh, I, I couldn't possibly. Like I mentioned, this was one of those weeks where, for me, I didn't know what I wanted to smoke tonight. So I walked around the humidor, made a couple of laps, was going to grab the new JFR, and uh, didn't want to go for a Robusto. I, I didn't want to find myself at the end of the show without anything to smoke. So uh, a cigar that I've only ever had one of before, and it was a long time ago, and I think I believe I smoked it on the show as well, uh, th- this was recommended by Austin a long time ago as being a perfect cigar for my palate. So I'm interested to find out how true that is. Looking at the recipe, I think that may be the case. This is the Esteban Carreras Mr. Brownstone. It is a Connecticut Broadleaf wrapper. Um, I'm smoking the Maduro version. And it's over Nicaraguan long filler and Ecuadorian Habano binder. So it's a medium to full bodied. Um, I, I don't remember anything about it the last time I smoked it, but it's something new and different that, uh, you know, like I said, I, I might as well be smoking this for the first time. So I'm excited to try something new. Well, I've had one of those. It did not leave a lasting impression on me. Kind of was almost a little forgettable, but um, probably worth revisiting. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about later on in this show is I want to talk about the definitive cigar grading. Before we get into that, before we actually get into the list, I do think we need to hit a few legislative updates because there's been some big legislative stuff occurring this week. And uh, number one, Scott Gottlieb has resigned as commissioner of the FDA. (laughs) Well, so Scott Gottlieb, he's... He was pro-cigar. He was. He wasn't necessarily pro-tobacco, and all, which that's okay. I'm fine if they're pro-cigar pro and don't care about tobacco and if they, you know, get vaping outlawed, punishable by death. Well, as I've said many times before, I really don't think you can call cigarette companies tobacco companies anymore. There was a time when, you know, big tobacco and, and you talk about co- tobacco companies like Philip Morris and... and I just don't think that's the case anymore. I think cigar companies are tobacco companies, and I think cigarette companies are cigarette companies. There's too much else in there besides tobacco to really say that they're peddling tobacco at this point. Right. Their product is so far from its roots. Exactly. You know, and it, and it, you know, we've talked before, you know, if it comes to regulating, you know, keeping cigarettes out of people's hands, I don't necessarily agree, but that is the entry point for kids. So if you are going to attack it on that front, yes, the vaping and the cigarettes. But, uh, you know, leaving the leaving the cigars alone, you know, is, is one of those things. I don't think there's any correlation there. But anyway, so he, yes, he stepped down this week. He stepped down, and um, nobody is committing yet as to why he stepped down. That sound good on the microphone? Oh. Not not even a little. Oh, okay. <laughs> Had to move my microphone. Sorry, everyone. Um, nobody's saying why he's stepping down or anything like that. You know, he proposed a lot of his legislation against vaping. 
And on one of the legislations, he actually legis bills. Is it a bill? Yes. One of the bills he proposed was actually that you would have to show ID before entering a place where they sold tobacco products and including vaping. So basically, take tobacco products out of convenience stores. Right, but I, I think I think just like all of this stuff, whether it's affecting the cigar industry or the tobacco industry or, or cigarettes or vape or whatever, you know, they don't ever think about what that do does to the places that actually are in business and sell these products. Like, imagine, let's say that the, you know, so now you either have to stop selling tobacco, which I'm guessing is probably fairly lucrative for most of these convenience stores, or they wouldn't continue to sell it. Well, even if the tobacco is not, okay, I'll stop, grab a pack of cigarettes, I'm going to pick up a Coke and a biscuit. Right. You know, you know, when was the last time you stopped at the convenience store because of the quality of their cuisine? No, yeah, it, it doesn't happen. So, you know, so you either, let's say it's a cigar shop or a vape shop, for example. Now those people have to sell more to justify the cost of hiring someone to stand at the door and card everybody. Or if you have to pay for a renovation of your convenience store to create a separate little bodega where only the tobacco you know, is, is sold. And on top of that, you've got a lot of, especially in the inner cities and in other cities bigger than ours, a lot of the indoor part of the convenience store closes after like 10 o'clock PM. And you do your business through a plexiglass bulletproof window to protect the people who work. So if that's the case, then now do we have, if I'm outside, do do I still have to provide ID or do I have to provide ID just to be on premises now? Like, how does that work? Um, I'm not even going to delve into it. And I'll just, he, Scott Gottlieb resigned. Um, nobody is condemning it as bad for the cigar industry. Nobody's saying it's good for it either. I think it just is what it is. I think it's just one of those things that's going to have to continue. Well, I think there's a certain level of the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. You know, he was a uh, he was a cigar friend, but how much of a friend was he really to have let this get on the floor affecting the cigar industry to begin with? But now you've got to wonder, is the person that comes in behind him going to be harder or softer on the cigar industry? I like to believe that we live in a world where you can't become the head of the FDA if you don't have a certain level of intelligence. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm going to live in that world. Don't you shatter my reality. Uh, or, the, or the fact that you shouldn't be able to bring your own prejudices into the role. It should be based on facts, figures, and numbers. But I've got to file official grievance. I have a, I have a complaint. Against? Tennessee, yeah. <laughs> our state. Our fair state. They push for tobacco purchase age increase. Okay. And all. They want it to go to 21. Which I think was their plan all along based on the fact that when they announced the cigar ban back in 2006, which went into effect in 2007, the fact that you could still allow smoking in an establishment, but the establishment had to be 21 and up. So I think they were laying the groundwork 12 years ago. Well, here's the part I'm grumbling about. I'm not grumbling about that part. I could... um I, you could definitely make the argument if you're old enough to go to war and you're old enough to vote, you're old enough to have a cigarette, you're old enough to have a drink. Right. But the the competency is not derived from age. But anyway, that's not what I'm here grumbling about. 
I'm grumbling that Senator Shane Reeves, Republican of Murfreesboro, <laughs> is sponsoring this bill. Now, my name's Shane Reeves. I am not a politician. This is the second time this guy has made a nuisance of himself in my life. And all, me or him, one's got to change our name. Because the first time when he ran for senator, um, or excuse me, for representative, people were calling me. Hey, Shane, I see you're running for representative. Can I do anything to help? I was flattered that people wanted to help, but I was offended that they think I would stoop so low as to get into politics. <laughs> Highly offended. And apparently this confirms the lowness of this human being that he's willing to sponsor a bill that is of an arbitrary nature and arbitrary. Don't, I know I live in Tennessee. We've got problems. Why are we wasting calories on 21 versus 18? And the, the thing that really gets me about this type of legislation is because a lot of states are doing it right now. And let's face it, within five to 10 years, it's going to be the norm. It, that's just the way it's headed. And so anytime this comes up on Facebook or, or anything like that, the if you can go to war, you can buy a cigarette is always the first. They always build in an exception that it the legal smoking age or age to purchase tobacco would remain 18 under a valid military ID. Which, because they know that that's the primary complaint. But it's not stopping them from going, wait a minute, maybe this is all arbitrary and pointless. They just go, oh no, we'll build in this exception so that the vocal... The, the number one argument against our stupidity gets quieter and force them to go. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. The whole thing, and I'm, I'm sad that someone that shares my name that has such a great name. I think you need to run as the other Shane Reeves. I think, I think so. I think I need to, the, the Shane Reeves of sense. I like it. And all that, that'll be on my... But again, I would have to stoop to the level of a politician, and I just don't think I can compromise my morals to that level. Either, I mean, that, either that or you couldn't compromise your morals to the point to get elected. I mean, I, I could club a baby seal. I just don't think I could be a politician. <laughs> no, I just it don't. is slightly lower on the scale than that. Yeah, I, I cannot think of, of much that I can't do. That's one thing I could not do. But anyway, now to a legislative bill that actually makes sense and is actually useful. A bill in Maryland could remove the tax on premium cigars in the state of Maryland. I did see this. And I'll, um, SB 826. Now, this is interesting. They put, they splash my name all over Half Wheel and besmirch my reputation, and they won't tell us who the guy is that actually proposed that we cut the taxes out. Oh, Senator Andrew... Serafini. That's the quickest I've ever seen you backpedal. <laughs> you got whiplash. Yeah, well, I just, I just happened to see his name because I was looking, 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 and then I found it. But, so, basically, would remove the tax on premium cigars. Leave in place the 70% tax on non-premium cigars. There's a 70% tax in Maryland. That is insanity. Yeah. At what uh, point does... I mean, I, I really hate the phrase taxation is theft, not because I don't agree with it, but because of who's usually the one saying it. They usually are the type of person that likes Alex Jones and is the crazy type of libertarian that I don't really associate with. But 
seventy percent tax on anything is is an outright theft. Oh yeah, criminal, criminal by any definition of the word. And I'll and you know you've you've heard me in here having my arguments with many a person about t- how taxation is basically robbery. Mm-hmm. The fact that when you make one income, you're taxed at a higher percentage than another is robbery. It is. Everybody should pay the same percent. It should be a flat tax. Our taxes at the end of the year should be easy to figure. You made this much money. You spent this much money. The difference, you send 25% of it to the government. Done. Well, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately because, you know, the Powerball is up almost $400 million again. And so thinking about the fact that, okay, let's say you win the lottery or any big sum of money through whatever windfall. You pay income tax on that. Then if you want to give some of it away to a private entity, your nephew, your cousin, your sister, whatever it is, then you have to pay a gift tax on that. And that other person has to pay income tax on that amount. Then if you were to die and pass that along to your offspring, they have to pay a state tax on that. How many times can you tax one Dollar. Not only that. And any of it you spend, you have to pay sales tax right, on. Right, you're taxed on that. And if you buy cigars with it, you're paying tobacco tax. Of 70% in Maryland. Good heavens, people. Just one of the... So, we're about That's to the quickest r- I've ever climbed up on a soapbox. <laughs> that, that was. You, you <laughs> hopped right up there. And all, you, you would have thought you were the referee when King, bon, King Kong Bundy said, go to five. <laughs> that was always the quickest. They'd go, one, two, three, and Bundy would yell, five. And the referee would do the quickest five count you've ever seen in your life. His hand would be a blur. Absolute wonderful, wonderful times. But we're going to wrap up the legislative updates at that point because I, I think we have railed and raved enough about the legislation of the, of the tobacco. Gerald's up here making the poker symbol. Oh, he missed out last night, I guess. Well, no, we didn't. Well, have I it know last that's night. what I mean. He's got withdrawals. But so the other things, moving on. So, breathe a little harder into the mic next time. That was lovely. I'm sure everyone, <laughs> people listening to this two days from now are still going to be able to smell what you had for dinner after that. <laughs> so, I, I'm very distraught about this next subject. Okay. We have got to create a definitive system for ranking cigars. Because all the systems out there are broken. Well, and we've mentioned before, you know... Uh, Cigar aficionado goes out of 100, but you never see anything below 75, maybe once or twice. So essentially, it's a scale from one to four. You know, it's from 60 to 100. Right. Or six out of 10. Which, so it's a scale of one to four. I don't understand why we need to get hung up on all these huge big ranges when especially anything worth smoking is going to be better than a 70 anyway. Well, so the genesis of this conversation comes from my wife switching from flavored cigars to regular cigars. And she would say to me, hey, honey, get me a cigar. And I would carefully sort through the humidor and find something that I thought she would like or that I wanted her to try. And I would bring it to her, and she'd get it lit, and about halfway through, I'd say, how's the cigar? It's good. Or, eh, it's not good. 
Okay, does that, how in the world does that help me in the future in any way, form, or fashion? Well, it doesn't, but how great is that? I mean, because at the end of the day, what is more important? You know, it, it's good or it's not good, or it's great, or it's a dog turd. So, again, I'm on a scale of four here. No, you're wrong. So, <laughs> no, and I understand... I know where you're going with this, and I actually happen to agree with your scale. But my point is, the best cigar in the world is the one that you like. So, yeah, if someone is trying to figure out how to better serve your palate in the future, certainly a little bit more may be, you know, required of that. However, if a, if a cigar gets a rating of, hey, that's pretty good, then that, then that's all it needs to do. No, I need... and. Okay, if you're recommending it, you know, just in general, if you're picking your own cigars, this is really the line of delineation. If you're going in the humidor and picking your own cigars and you want your grade to be good and bad, then that's fine. But if you're asking for my assistance, for my expertise, I need a little more feedback than it's good or it's bad. I wish the listeners could see your posture right now as you... As you clutch your hand to your chest like a general getting his portrait painted on the battlefield right. and you sit up real tight. My expertise. My expertise. <laughs> if you're going to delve into my years of experience in this industry. So I said, honey, will you please give me a, li- a rating from one to ten? Ten best, one worst. All she's given me is fives. <laughs> okay, the well, li- that's a little different, but... A five is worse than a zero because a five means I'm not willing to commit that it's good or bad. I have traveled backward in our <laughs> cigar rating on the back porch with my wife through this process. So tonight I plan to clear that up. Well, except, well, never mind. I'll, I'll, I'll slide away from that point. But again, I think your error was in the way you asked the question more so than the answer. You didn't ask, well, you, you later asked on a scale of one to 10. You said, how do you like it? It's good. You didn't, you know, you weren't asking for tasting notes or for a, ra- a rating or a ranking. Like, I, I, you're, you're giving me that look. I'm about to be dressed down over here, aren't I? When you give me the reins, then give me adequate feedback back. Right. You don't come into my office and say, hey, Shane, I want an 1,800-square-foot, three-bedroom, two-bath house. You know how many houses I can draw that are 1,800-square-foot, three-bedroom, two-bath? 842,368. <laughs> That's exactly how many. Add a hip roof, I might get it down to a, to a close 600,000. But I've got to have details. That, and, and my wife, who is the queen of the detail, who is, you come in and you say something and she says, did you ask them why? No. They said this. Why would I ask why? So the queen of details was not, and this is not me grumbling about my wife. This is indicative of a bigger bigger problem. Okay. That there has never been a definitive. So I will say we should rank all cigars from one to seven. Okay, now four just becomes your new five. Because it's the exact dead middle of that range. Four is not the four is on the positive side. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's it's exactly dead middle. No, four is the middle of eight. Four is not the middle of seven. Only if you go down to zero. Four, no. No, four is, one, the, four is the dead middle of seven. 
No, it's not. Yes, it is, because there are you three have, numbers on either side of no, it. You're counting four as a number. Yes, uh, well, is it not a number? Yes, because you have th- you have crossed the threshold. You cannot rank from one to seven and four be the middle. But it absolutely is. No, it is not. There's four, five, six, seven, and there's one, two, three. You see how unbalanced that is? You've got... You've got four on one scale and three on the other. You can't have four positives and three negatives. You know, I've spent like two hours today working on this scale. Agree with me that four is not in the middle. (laughs) No, I will not do it. Four is exactly dead middle. Four would be in the middle of eight. (laughs) Yes, yes it would, but it's also the dead center of... This five. Four and a half would be the dead center of eight if... The way you do math. And... By the way, there are no decimal points allowed in this system. Okay, then four is absolutely, if you're going to get rid of, because the only only justification I could take from you that four is not the dead center of seven is if you were going to say 3.5. But if so, there is no 3.5 allowed, then four is exactly halfway between your worst mark and your best mark. Okay, so it's got to be one to six then. Yeah. Because okay. because then because then three is below the middle line and four is above the middle See, line. See, this is why we have to discuss these things because I've been working all day based on the fact of a scale of one to seven. But you are correct. I will concede to your point. I can see how you could extrapolate that four would be the middle of one to seven. And I'll but it depends on if you're willing to use zero or not. Fair enough. Now that all of that being said. <laughs> that was that was just some darn good pod. <laughs> All right, anybody still listening? We're now doing a scale of I, one to six. I disagree. What I was going to say though is if is if all of the material it hinges on that on that extra digit on seven, then by all means carry on. You may change my mind by the end of it. Well, here's how I came to seven. Okay. Because if if you look at the standard scale, most of the time when people ask you to have a scale, they go one to ten. But in my life, if you say to me, Shane, I want a rating of 1 to 10 on anything, cigars, women, cars, grass, dogs, houses, whatever. See, for me, everything gets a 7 then. <laughs> no. That, that reflects a poor uh, a lack of thought. What I do is immediately I eliminate 1 because nothing's going to be that bad. And I probably eliminate 10 because nothing's going to be that bad. And I definitely destroy five because that reflects a lack of character on my part that I'm willing to just stand in the middle of the road. But some things are fives. We, we you talked about the Mr. You talked about the Mr. Brownstone when I lit it up at the beginning of the show. You said it's completely unremarkable, totally forgettable. Now, if it were bad, you would have remembered how bad it was. If it were good, you would have remembered how good it was. But it was a five. It was right in the middle, completely mediocre. No, I demand commitment. I refuse to accept a world where something can be neither good nor bad. There must be commitment. You must be willing to stick your neck out on your opinion. Well, I'm going to stop you there, and I'm going to let us marinate on the on the 1 to 6 or 1 to 7 scale. We'll discuss it during the Cigar Under 8, and we'll come back with the rest of this discussion. Shane here with this week's Cigar Under 8. This week I want to talk about the Esteban Carrera Covenant. One of the prettiest wrappers in cigars. 
I really love that deep blue wrapper with the lightning strikes on it. Oh, yeah, the label. Yeah, one of the prettiest labels on cigars. And all. this is a Nicaraguan Puro. Although wrapper. the wrapper itself is pretty as well. Yeah, the, the whole cigar is a beautiful cigar, well done. The rating I'm looking at has got it above medium almost to strong. I'm going to say it's more of a, a medium. hard medium. I would say so too. You know, it's, it's a definite good step-up cigar. And it comes in both natural and Maduro, depending on what you're into that particular day. And we don't get a lot of Nicaraguan Puros on the Cigar Under 8. So no. this is a great cigar to try. Try the Esteban Carreras Covenant. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is Shane sitting across from the master mathematician, Trey. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. You know, the number one, just for those people that want to hear a little bit of how the sausage is made, Trey and I's biggest arguments are always either music or Sem- how to... How or to, semantics. <laughs> well, or how to settle an argument. I always want to arm wrestle. You always want a foot race. <laughs> it seems like we, we're, we need a third event. If somebody on Facebook could give us a third event to, to, that could be equally, we'd just do the third event because obviously you'd win the foot race, I'd win the arm wrestling match. Right. But coming back to rating our cigars, fine, one to six. All right. And all, no decimal points are allowed. If you must have decimal points in your rating system, you're out. And then I'll you just, don't understand your own rating well enough. Right, you're you're afraid to commit. You know, ambiguity is the bane of my existence. Uh, you get your ire up over very little as much as ambiguity. Ambiguity and tardiness are the two things that will totally cause me to lose my my mind. I will go off the rails on ambiguity and tardiness. Hence the all caps uh text message I got today wondering where I was and how long it would take me to get here. Well, actually, the the ETA just <laughs> autocorrect got it. But anyway, <laughs> so before we get started, how are you liking the Mr. Brownstone? It's relatively unremarkable. It's, you know, and and I don't think that was tempered by what you said at the top of the show. I think it was more in, in kind of what I was thinking about the fact that I knew I'd smoked this before, but I couldn't remember anything about it. With the pedigree, the Ecuadorian Habano wrap, the filler, the you know the Nicaraguan binder and the Connecticut broadleaf wrapper, which I'm a huge fan of, I would expect a little more out of it. Uh, the construction is great, draws fantastic. Flavor-wise, it's just not really doing a whole lot for me. Can you blend a cigar too well? Can you blend a cigar to where all the flavors cancel the others out, or is that a unicorn? I think that's possible. And I think you'll find that when you start aging cigars, you know, especially if you take some real behemoths of cigars and age them for a couple of years, you'll notice that those flavors will really mellow out. In fact, I'd actually be interested to see what happens with that Punch Diablo after a couple of years, you know, see how it mellows out. So I do think that's possible. And I know that the Brownstone hasn't been out for very long, maybe a couple of years, and I don't know how many of them he goes through here. I, I always see the box about half full. So I don't know um, how long these these have, could potentially have been aging for about a year already. I don't know. Seems like it was about a year ago he actually got them in. Yeah. So, but the Long Live the King, Mad Mofo, wonderful. 
absolutely great cigar. Couldn't think of a better one to to commemorate my childhood and all. Then, which is strange to link a cigar to your childhood. <laughs> that is. But anyway, okay, back to the ratings. Okay. So one being the worst. What I consider the worst cigar is a cigar that I don't want to smoke it. That I'd just rather not smoke. I'd rather just sit quietly in the corner by myself than to smoke this cigar. The only way I would smoke that cigar is if it was offered by a grouchy dictator in a third world country. <laughs> you know, that's the only way I light this n- a number one cigar up. So that's, that's no flavor, terrible construction, n- just doing absolutely nothing for you. Right. That's just absolutely uh, Only under threat of death. Right. Number two, I'd still rather not smoke than smoke a cigar, this cigar, a number two. But construction issues, it has one redeeming quality. It could have decent flavor, but all of the things around it make it where you can't extract that flavor. The draw, the wrapper falls off, can't keep it lit. That's one of those things that's a little tricky for me because that can vary cigar to cigar so much. So obviously when you're rating a cigar, you're rating that particular cigar, not all of that cigar, if that makes sense. So, so, but it, but it could get a little tricky. If I'm saying that I rate the whatever by whomever as a two, I'm assuming that I'm rating all of that cigar that way. But I could have just had one bad one. So how many, well, how many times do you have to smoke a cigar to properly rate it, I guess, is the deeper question there. You know, a two for me is a Gurkha Evil. And uh, La Gurkha Evil, I smoked one. It's one of only two cigars that ever made me physically sick. The blend was off. The, you know, they're, they're really, this was definitely a two. And Because uh, one, I reserved for something that I, that's even like worse than that. Yeah, it'd have to be. Well, I've actually had a quorum that I would smoke over a Gurkha Evil. Okay. But, no, I'm still not going to choose one. But this brings us to choice number, to level number three. It's decent if the humidor selection is very limited. So this is a, a Don Tomas or a, um, trying to think of, I'm going lower. I'm saying a CAO moon trance. Say you're in the middle of nowhere and the only humidor is in the back of a old tobacco shop and it's a closet and they just got a few CAOs and there. That's that's kind of where I'm going with a three. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be interested. I think we need to sit down maybe before next week's show, even if we don't do it on the show, just to kind of get a reference of uh, kind of take some cigars that we've had in the past and fill them into these categories as kind of a, a litmus test to kind of figure out where those fall in. Because to me, the, the Romeo y Julieta Medallos de Oro is one of those that it's a, it's a fine cigar, but I only ever pick it up if it's the only thing in that humidor worth smoking. Right. If, if your choices are severely limited, this is better than not smoking. Right. But marginally. But whereas a two is, I'd rather just not smoke if that's all right. I have. If, if this is all you got, I'll, I'll just have a cold drink and not worry about it. Not yeah. a big deal in my life. And I'll, Okay, now since you won't let me go to seven. Go ahead, do your full seven. We can, we can edit. and I mean, I know you've spent a lot of time on this. I don't want to shortchange you. Go ahead and do your full seven. Well, four and five could be switched 
or combined. Okay. Well, we can try so, that. So four is it's smokable annually, and it may need further review. Okay. Meaning this is a cigar. I, you know, an example for me is an acid deep dish. That's a cigar that about once a year I want to smoke. See, that's the KFC for me. Right. About once a year. Yeah. And uh, and then that's and you know that's about all and may need further review. Now the time may come that my palate changes to a degree that that I do smoke more than one a year, but probably not. Yeah. And then five is what I say about cigars all the time: good, not great. And five, I add in there, it may be subject to aging. And see, that's one of those things that I kind of disagree with you on. Uh, and I think about the Gurkha Evil as a perfect, uh, not the Gurkha Evil. I'm sorry, the Gurkha Ghost. It's a perfect example of this. When that cigar first came out, I got a couple. This was before FDA regulation, so I got a couple from the rep and really enjoyed it. It was an amazing cigar. I'm, I'm, I won't mince words. I don't like Gurkha, but that cigar was incredible. And then by the time the first shipment came out and everyone loved it, they rushed production on the second one, and it tasted like ammonia from then on out. And I haven't had one since, and I will not smoke one ever again because I had about four in a row, and all I could taste was that ammonia. For me, that when, so when you talk about could use a little age, and I taste that ammonia flavor to it, I'm done. That's a two for me, or maybe a three. Well... But there are cigars that when they come out, especially, you know, a perfect example is the Tatuaje Monster Series. Mm -hmm. When they come out, they're usually pretty good, but they don't come alive till the next Halloween. True. You know, the the Kruger was a great example of that. And that one's a little tricky, too, because you're talking about limited releases now. You know, if if I'm going to spend the money on a limited release, I'm planning on sitting on it for a while anyway. But if I'm going into that humidor to spend my money on a cigar that I want to smoke tonight and I have to go buy a box just so I can sit on them for a year so that they're smokable, I'm out. Right. Now, in the, unless it's a limited release, it don't make any sense to do that because you can go pick them up anywhere. Exactly. Now, number six, this is the vast majority of the cigars I smoke. Most of the cigars I smoke would be a six. It's a very good cigar and it gets put in my regular rotation. So, I... If, if we remove the could use a little aging piece from your number five, I'm trying to figure out, and I know we're not doing decimals because it seems like it's kind of in between five and six, is the workhorse cigar. See, my workhorse is a six. I wouldn't okay. have a workhorse less than a six. Okay. And I'll, now that's, that's me because this grading system is not taking into account price. Of this course, is uh, every course. cigar. Based upon its own merits, this is not taking into price. This is not taking into marketing. Okay, then I agree with you. Then yeah, then because uh, because that's one of those pieces that always plays with my mind when I'm kind of going through this. Is is that price? Is that value for dollar? And I guess if we're taking price out of it, then all of my workhorses would be six as well. Right. If you're choosing a workhorse, you got to choose based on price, and and actually price becomes a bigger factor in a workhorse cigar. Right. Because I know a lot of guys whose work workhorse cigar is not a great cigar. You know, they have a a poor cigar that that's their workhorse because they're going to smoke one or two of them a day and they don't want to have a, you know, a $200 a month cigar bill. Exactly. So, yeah, I can see that. And then number seven is the pinnacle. 
It's perfect flavor. It's perfect draw. It's perfect construction. It's balanced. It's blended by a master. You would break your arm to get another one of these cigars. So what happens then when you end up with 10, 12, 20 cigars that are all rated 7? How do you then... I mean, and I think this is why... I'm not trying to break your system. I'm just curious because I think this is why like aficionado does out of a hundred, right? So between nine and 10, you've got 10 different stops along the way. So I, I'm kind of, you know, like for me off the top of my head, Avo heritage is an, is a 10 Padron four or is a seven Padron 4,000 is a seven Padron anniversary series. Both the 26 and 64 are sevens. Um, you know, and I could, the, the Liga number five is a seven, you know, so there's a, I've got a whole bunch of sevens that come to mind right off the top of the bat. I'm just kind of curious how you then rank those. You're or, probably, they're not all equal. You're probably more generous than I am with handing out sevens. You know, for me, I can think of two cigars that I would call sevens, you know, a Padron 50th and a Feral Flying Pig. Those are the only two sevens I can say I smoked this year. The Padron 4000 may be a six, but the Avo Heritage is perfect. The Padron Anniversary Series is perfect. There's nothing about either of those cigars that I would change. For it to be a seven, it has to be a cigar that nothing else in that line compares to. And I would take a Fagata over a Heritage. So I wouldn't, personally. But that brings us to... How do limited releases fit into this? Because you're, like you said, in order to issue a seven, it has to be the pinnacle of the line. But then you almost have to have a separate scale. Let's say we're putting a leaderboard together, just for example. You you would have to have one separate for limited releases and and regular production. I feel like because let's say the flying pig is, you know, the pinnacle of the Drew Estate line for you. And that's your seven. But you're not going to find it everywhere. It's hard to get. It's it's a special release. It's not a limited release, but it's a special release. So, you know, can, can there not be another seven from Drew Estate because that one occupies the space for you? Not in my world. Everything else is a six. Once I've had the best, everything else is just the rest. And I'll... And I'll and, you know, hey, if you if I could get a six out of seven on every test I took for the rest of my life, I would take that bargain. I don't have to have a seven. That's fair. And also, six is probably going to be my largest category. You know, most cigars I smoke are going to be five or six. You know, they're going to be something, and that's, and that's what makes four and five hard because the annual smoke versus the good, not great, which is better. Yeah. You know. And because so much of that comes down to your palate as well, you know, which all of this does because we're talking about ranking based on taste and flavor and, and just our particular palate. So, but yeah, the, the four and five, the line there is really tricky. Yeah, the line there between those, because it really is, you know, if everything is a six, what's a six? Right. And if only the, the pinnacle, if only the grandest become a seven, then what's a seven? And all, but I don't the I don't take into my scale the availability of the cigar. I judge the cigar based on when I light it, and I put it in my mouth. You know, this King is Long Live the King, is a solid six. And all, it's a great cigar. Now, is it the pinnacle of the Caldwell line? That's arguable. 
Mm-hmm. And I'll, I've not smoked everything in the Caldwell line. And I'll, but is it as good as a Padron 50th? No. You know, people, we go into the humidor. How many times have you walked into a humidor and people said, I love Padron. What's comparable to Padron? Right. Nothing. I mean, you know, nothing is comparable to the Padron. If you want the Padron, you pay the Padron money. So there's kind of a, you know, there's a scale there. But one through six or one through seven, my point is commit. Make a commitment in your life that when you rank a cigar, especially if you're asking for the advice of another, that you're going to commit to what that cigar is. Having gone through your rankings and your scales, I, I think you're fine on seven. I, I still believe that four is dead center. I, but with the descriptions that you've laid out, there is a, a real difference between four and five. You know, a five is a good cigar. A four is just... it. To me, it, to me, it's just middle of the road. Well, three, four, and five are kind of all right there on the line of, are they still a good cigar? And uh, they're all right there on the line because if the humidor selection is, is limited, you kind of get what you get. Right. And all, uh, but thankfully, unless the FDA gets all this passed, where our humidors are rarely that limited. It's true. It's just when you happen to end up in that weird part of town where all they have is the discount beer and tobacco store with a broom closet for a humidor. So, moving on to another subject. Our executive producer did not arrive in time because I wanted to I wanted to get some details from you. I'm not pronouncing judgment on you yet. The way you brought this up tells me that you've already pronounced judgment. Not pronouncing judgment on you as of yet. But we have not had a bottle episode since Valentine's Day. Let me stop you there real quick, just because I want to pull the show over for, again, semantics, but something you did today that I really thought was funny um, and really cool, actually, based on the nature of the show. So bottle episode is a term in television for when the entire episode takes place in one setting. Um, The Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld in season two is a perfect example of that. Um, On the show Community, they actually, like, said it out loud. They all stayed in the study room. You know, it's... So, when we talk about a bottle episode, we're talking about when it's just you and I here together, just the just the core. And what's... So, when you text me today and said you were really excited about the bottle episode, you 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 didn't spell out bottle, which is how it's... It's meant bottle as in, like, ship in a bottle kind of thing. You did B-O-T-L, which is a very common acronym in for Brother of Leaf for right. in the cigar industry. And I, I just thought that was freaking fantastic. I just, I love that. I actually thought that's what we were doing. I always thought we called them, I never, the terminology bottle episode as it relates to sitcoms never occurred to me. I always thought it was just a Brothers of the Leaf episode. That's, I think that's fantastic. And that's how it sh- shall henceforth be, uh, you know, discuss or uh, be referenced. But I just thought that was fantastic. <laughs> yes, a, a bottle. Since this is a bottle episode, and we haven't had one since Valentine's Day, so for Valentine's Day, why don't you I, tell me what you did, and then I will tell what I did. I got home early. Actually, it started at seven o'clock that morning. We don't need those details. Seven o'clock that morning, I browned the ground beef. I did all of my food prep. I got my bell peppers hollowed out made my mixture. I put everything together because I knew that on where Valentine's Day hit, I was going to be running a tight schedule having it ready for her to get home. 
and all. When she got home, I turned the cap on the Instapot, and there was her favorite stuffed bell peppers waiting on her. Mixed them with the enchilada sauce the way she likes it. Had her dinner waiting on her through my own hard labor and conscious effort to, to romance, even after 20 years, to romance my wife on Valentine's Day. Where did you take the girlfriend on Valentine's Day? So I actually... Just answer the question, sir. <laughs> <laughs> we had reservations for 645 right down the street at a local place called Waffle House. <laughs> Just because you make reservations at Waffle House does not make it special. It does, though. It was so much fun. We are You've spent enough time around us to know that we have a bit of whimsy. We don't just succumb to, we don't fit in a box. And it was just so outlandish and fun and all, they were all wearing ties and like, it was, it was like the day the first Waffle House opened. Everybody was, you know, everything was clean. They decorated, again, reservations. They had a special menu there for you. I mean, it was... And here's the piece that I haven't told you yet that I was saving. So it was actually her idea. So she said, boy, this is... She's this, the one who actually made the reservation. When she gets here, I've got to hear that out of her lips for me to believe it. Okay. I, I, I think this is Trey saying, oh, no, it's Valentine's Day, but we can always get in at the Waffle House. No, I think it was... <laughs> it's so much fun. I've, they've been doing it for a few years now. I don't know how long exactly, but I've seen some friends of mine do it, and I thought that just sounded like so much fun. And it was. We had a wonderful time, and we paid probably the same as you did for all the ingredients for your stuffed bell peppers, especially That's if true. you factor in the cost of the Instapot. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, but it, you didn't if you factor in the cost of building a Waffle House. <laughs> I mean, but I didn't pay for the building of the Waffle House. You paid for the Instapot. A portion of your proceeds went to the building of the Waffle House. But, and also, you didn't know this, but in Spring Hill, Tennessee, we have the finest Waffle House cook known to man. Is that right? Frank the Tank. In Spring Hill, Tennessee. He won the Nobel Prize for short order cook in 2016. And they've really got a lot of categories now. <laughs> if I walk into the Waffle House in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and Frank is not behind the griddle, I turn around and leave. When he, he picks up his spatula like Jimi Hendrix tuning a guitar, <laughs> you know something special is going to happen when Frank is cooking your dinner. You know, the short order cook is truly a lost art. I mean, there is something like I've I've I try to find a, a diner whenever I'm traveling because that is it's the, the food will give you a heart attack, but you know it's going to be good. But the art of the short order cook is 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 quickly becoming a dying art form. Yeah, and 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 Frank embodies. You know, Frank actually has he wears the hat with all the buttons across the hat. He's he has won every award Waffle House has to offer. At all, he can prepare hash browns. He, there's never too many people in Waffle House that your food's not out in less than seven minutes, and all. So not only did you take her to the Waffle House, you didn't even take her to the best Waffle House in the range of where we're at. Well, look here. the The final word I will say on the matter, because you've you've made your piece, 
and I still stand by what we did. But the, the, the real takeaway here is just to not take yourself too seriously, especially on Valentine's Day. There's always room for levity. There is. There is always room for levity. And, I'm, and now, of course, I'm a big believer in it means more to prepare a meal than to purchase a meal, but our schedules don't always allow that. We keep a, a busy life, as we spoke about at the beginning of the show. And, and we cook at home more often than not anyway, which I know you do too. But, you know, and that's the thing is, is we don't, if it weren't for it being Waffle House and it being kind of a gimmick and it being fun, we wouldn't have made reservations to go out. That's not our. So, what was thing. the Waffle House special on Valentine's Day? It was the All Star Breakfast, or like a, or they had dinner plates. They had the full menu as well if you wanted it, but they had it kind of laid out where you got, you know, a salad and and a waffle for dessert and and whatever your main meal was, or you could get the All Star Breakfast. The All Star. By, and I know we're reaching parts of the world where they don't have Waffle Houses. Which, why anybody would live there, I just... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why, I mean... Although, have you noticed you can't get a Waffle House and a Whataburger in the same town? I mean, I haven't been everywhere in Alabama, and there are some Whataburgers in Alabama. I may need to test this out, but I've, I've rarely, like... The fact that you would have to choose from those two is really a travesty. I think you have to. I think you have to take a stand. I think you're yeah. either a Whataburger guy or you're a Waffle House guy. I don't think you get to be both. But we can both agree that Huddle House sucks. Oh yeah, Huddle House is at, at best a dime store chain. <laughs> yeah, it's. I like to call it Waffle House's retarded step cousin. So we're coming on that. Hey everybody, I want you to notice that came from Trey. That usually is the stuff that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> everybody out there, please notice tonight that came from Trey. Well, what else is going to come from Trey is all of our contact details. We're winding up tonight. I want to remind everybody that you can get a hold of us via email at info at the cigarcast.com. Uh, dang it. Uh, <laughs> Facebook.com slash the cigarcast and Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast. Every time, Shane. Every single time. Every time. You just, you totally lose all train. Oh, wait, she's here. Yeah. <laughs> he actually said your Waffle House on Valentine's Day was your ideal. I've never been more disappointed. <laughs> See, told you. I've, I've never been more disappointed that that she chose Waffle House. Well, on your disappointment. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for listening this week. So, your judgment on the brownstone? Um, good, not great. It's a five. It's a, so- it's a, a solid five. five. It's a five. At all, and the the Mad MF is a six all day long. Just cannot beat this cigar great cigar. Um, See, the problem with the smaller scale, though, is that I have a hard time putting these side by side. I feel like there should be a number in between these two. Should cigars. be a larger gap between these two. Okay, yeah. fine. Yours is a four. <laughs> so it's right in the middle. So it's dead even. I've made no commitment. I've, I've yelled at him for an hour about his math skills. But thanks everyone for listening. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Yeah.